So Ephesians chapter 6, and we begin at verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And we'll end the reading there. May God bless his word to us this morning. I'm sure that uh, you've all heard the saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, We read those words uh, from uh, Luke in Acts when Paul says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Those are interesting words simply for the fact that they're not recorded in the Gospels anywhere. Uh, There's much that Jesus said and did that isn't written down, but here's something that the Apostle Paul knew and that the Spirit included in the Word of God, a saying of Jesus uh, that we know uh, must then be true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And yet, as it's the case with any truth, uh, we have to remember the context of these words, and there is almost always a pitfall lurking around the truth of God. It is more blessed to give than to receive. There is a blessing in giving. But at the same time, the Christian life is a life of receiving. It is a life of receiving. We need to think of that in terms of our lives before God, Romans eleven thirty five. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? What do we have that we have not received? And of course, by God's grace, the Christian life begins and continues by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. It is more blessed to give than to receive. There is a great blessing in giving, but that does not exclude the reality of receiving in the Christian life. We need to remember that as we come here uh, to Uh, this teaching about prayer in Ephesians chapter 6. Last time we looked at verse 18, and we saw the call to be praying all kinds of prayers in all circumstances, with all perseverance, for all the saints. And we heard, I trust and remember, last time that call to be praying for others. We are to love and to pray even for our enemies, but particularly the church, other Christians, the call to pray for others. But verse 19 shifts the focus. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus these simple words, pray also for me. 
It's even more succinct in the original Greek. The, the verb praying carries on from the previous verse, and he simply says here, also for me. Also for me. Pray for me, wrote Paul. I think William Gurnall summarized it very well when he said, it is not only our duty to pray for others, but also to desire the prayers of others for ourselves. But also to desire the prayers of others for ourselves. So this morning, with God's help, I want to consider just that request of the Apostle Paul in a general way, and then, Lord willing, this afternoon, the specific way that Paul asked for prayer. Uh, But this morning, just those words, and uh, they were impressed upon me uh, just so much over the past number of weeks. Pray for me. Pray for me. Have you ever said that? Have you ever asked that from anyone? Now, of course, we know that Selfishness and self-centeredness is a weed that grows in every corner of the garden of our lives. And here as well, we know that it's possible to, to be wanting prayer attention from others in a sinful way. But saying, pray for me, is not necessarily sinful. In fact, it is a mark of godliness and a duty in the Christian life. Pray also for me, said the Apostle Paul. Paul is asking that these fellow believers would pray also for him. Now, of course, we've seen the priority in Paul's prayer life, the priority in prayer that he exhibited. Verse 18 comes before verse 19. Before he says, pray for me, he calls Christians to be praying for others. And in fact, Paul modeled the mind of Christ in putting others before himself in this whole letter of Ephesians, when time and time again, if you take Time to read through the letter again. Time and time again, he has written about his prayers for the believers in Ephesus. And so there is a priority that he has on praying for others. And yet we come to Ephesians 6.19, where the apostle says, pray for me. Verse 19, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is in our Bible. Pray also for me. And it's not simply the Apostle Paul. We have examples in the Bible of Christians asking for prayer from others. We heard it this morning in the life of Daniel. Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. What did Daniel do when he was placed in that impossible situation? 
he went to his friends and he said, pray for me. Or we can think of Esther in Esther chapter 4, verse 16. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. But what was Esther saying? Pray for me. Pray for me. Beloved, if the Apostle Paul asked for prayer for himself, certainly every Christian can and should walk in his footsteps and not be unfamiliar with this request to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray also for me. I've often been so encouraged in our congregation by emails that are sent to the congregation asking for prayer in the course of our weekly midweek prayer meetings on Wednesdays. When people are informed, it's going to be your family that's prayed for this week and and the requests come back. Pray for us. That's Ephesians 6.19. As we pray for individuals and families each week, and as those prayer requests are given, that is Ephesians 6.19. Just recently in an email from a family, thank you for lifting up our family in prayer tonight. It is a blessing and privilege to pray together each Wednesday. A recent sermon reminded us that we are jars of clay and not to be afraid to let the cracks show and acknowledge our sins and weaknesses. Please pray that the Lord would continue to convict us of our sins, strengthen us in our weaknesses, and reminding us of the gospel treasure that dwells inside us. May the joy of the Lord fill our hearts daily. That's Ephesians 6, 19. And so let me ask you again this morning, have you ever asked a fellow believer, pray for me? And if not, why not? If not, why not? If you're here this morning, you hear the Apostle Paul write, pray also for me, and you're sitting here and honestly you said, I am a complete stranger to that experience in the Christian life. Why? Whatever may be the cultural, personal, or spiritual factors that may be involved, and we face all those things as Christians, the culture in which we are raised, our family backgrounds, our, our personal, our personalities and, and spiritual issues that may be involved in our lives at any given moment. Whatever those factors may be, uh, in whatever may be involved, I have known Christians. I've spoken with believers who have found it hard 
to enter into that old American spiritual. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not the preacher, not the deacon, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my father, not my mother, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not the stranger, not my neighbor, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Pray also for me. If we've never asked that of anyone else, or if we have done it infrequently, or maybe just lately, it's not where we're at. What are some of the roadblocks to saying to another Christian or to the congregation, pray for me? Well, I think there are two main possibilities that that crop up again and again in every area of the Christian life. Pride and unbelief. Pride and unbelief. Consider pride first, and I think pride in two ways. We may never say pray for me also because we may be too self-sufficient, really blind to our need in every area of life and especially spiritual things. Why would I ask anyone to pray for me? I'm fine. That's the language of the world so often. We're fine. Mark 2.17, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Someone said, humble souls are fearful of their own lack of strength. We need to beware of a self-conceited self-sufficiency. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what the unbeliever needs to see. That apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Certainly in terms of living a life acceptably before a holy God. Whenever we mention pride, there is the, the, the pride of the unregenerate heart. We pray for God's mercy, should pray for God's mercy to deliver you from that. But that pride can creep into the Christian life as well, and we forget that apart from Christ we can do nothing, and we think we're fine. Asking others to pray for you reflects a person who really understands the reality that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But pride can come in another way as well. You may be someone who knows that you are not fine, but you don't want anyone else to really know that. And that's really pride too, isn't it? The Apostle Paul 
didn't think or live that way. Romans 7.18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Paul wasn't too proud to let people know. He wrote to those churches, and it's in Scripture for the rest of the history of the church and the world, for Paul to say, I was afraid. Or 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? How many of us have ever spoken like that to another Christian? And then said, pray for me. We can be embarrassed, I know. But we should remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. The devil wants you to think, I'm the only one. I'm the only one in this congregation who wrestles with this. No, you're not. No, you're not. Now, it's not necessary to reveal everything to everyone. Even Jesus took the three. Peter, James, and John with him into Gethsemane when he told them that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. We have greater intimacy with some for various reasons with whom we share more. But pride can keep us from saying, pray for me. Have you asked that question of another believer? Husbands, wives, the intimacy of your marriage translated into pray for me. Parents, children, you parents ever humble yourselves to your children and say, pray for me. Children, have you asked your parents for that, about what you're going through? Please pray for me. Elders in the church, are we as open as the Apostle Paul? Do we humble ourselves and say, pray for me? People in the congregation to your elders, there's an intimacy in that relationship that should allow for a a greater depth to the request, pray for me. So pride in a couple of ways. But perhaps also unbelief, just unbelief. Is it possible that we have not said pray for me as much as we should? Because really, to one degree or another, we have lost faith in prayer ourselves. We don't ask about this situation or about that relationship because we've come to think on some level I don't think praying about it will really do any good. That's unbelief. And if that's the case, the remedy is not to stop asking for prayer, but to ask for prayer like the father in Mark 9. Immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. 
And you come back to Ephesians 6.19 and you say to a brother or sister, pray for me. Beloved, if we really knew not just our circumstances, which we can focus on so much, but God's sufficient sovereign grace in Christ, we'd be all the more inclined to ask of others, pray for me. And there are great blessings by God's grace when we do. We are helped. We are helped. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor, Ecclesiastes 4.9. If we always only pray alone, boys and girls, it's like the man who, when his house was on fire, tried to put it out himself but wasn't able and was willing to hazard the loss of all that he had for the lack of quickly calling his neighbors to help. We are helped when we say, pray for me. Asking others to pray for you also acknowledges God's grace in their lives. It's an encouragement in the church to say to someone, pray for me, because you're acknowledging God's grace in their lives, that they are filled with the spirit of Christ, the spirit of supplication, that they know the way to the throne of grace, that they are men and women and boys and girls who by God's grace love others as much as they love themselves and they love you and they will pray for you. You're encouraging them in the faith. And being someone who's willing to say pray for me encourages Mutual love and prayer in the congregation. Because you know it's true, don't you? If someone, if you ask someone, pray for me, can you at the same time be someone who does not or will not pray for them? Saying pray for me primes the pump of prayer in a congregation. It's leading by example. And this is what the Apostle Paul is doing here. In Ephesians 6, 19, he's leading by example. Pray for me. Now, as you think of that question, you may have asked that question. And people may have forgotten. We may have said we would pray for someone. And we haven't. What then? Well, we confess our sin and we don't become discouraged. And what's the best remedy for discouragement? Always, we look to Christ. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to those three disciples, now he did say that they should pray that they would not fall into temptation. He's saying, you need to pray for yourselves. He was the sinless Savior. But there is also the sense we read in Matthew 26, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Did you pray with me? 
fell asleep. What a reminder that is. It was not our praying that contributed to our salvation, the foundation of our salvation, the salvation purchased and won by Jesus alone. But that salvation, beloved, includes the forgiveness of sins, including the sins of our prayer life. If we've never said, pray for me, there may be sin to confess. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we said we'd prayed for someone and we haven't, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins. And even if, beloved, everyone else would disappoint you, when you on your knees say to Jesus, pray for me, you know he does, and he will. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them.